And now, because we have a guest speaker, before I introduce him, I'm going to begin with our spiritual mind treatment. So would you please join me in knowing if it's comfortable for you to close your eyes? I won't be singing in this very room because I like you all too much for that. (laughs) But if you just want to get comfortable, close your eyes and join me in that place beyond limitation, in that connection to the divine, in that place where we truly are one and know with me, I am. I am the very presence of God, the infinite creative expression of the divine is here now, in, as, and through each and every amazing expression of life. I surrender myself into my divine nature. I allow the love that I am to flow forth freely from and through me, to awaken me in greater ways to all that is real, to all that is beautiful and magnificent and infinitely possible. I know that the infinite that created all, seen and unseen, is my very essence, and I now allow myself to align more fully with that presence. I allow myself to be the perfect outpicturing of that creativity and generosity and clarity of the expression of kindness and compassion and inclusiveness. I know that this is a divine moment. I am here by divine appointment and I open to the calling of my heart, of my soul, to hear through this message a gift, a blessing, I know that the whole universe is conspiring to shower me with blessings, and I join the conspiracy willingly. I allow myself to be showered with blessings, and I allow myself to participate in showering everyone else with great blessings and joy and kindness and compassion. So I know that as I set this intention, The law conspires. The law absolutely says yes, because that is what the law does. And I have consciously and intentionally planted this seed, knowing that it must bring forth a bountiful harvest. So I release these words with great gratitude, knowing that it is already done so beautifully and perfectly, and that I have the consciousness to see it, appreciate it, and celebrate it. And together we say, and so it is. So we're in for a treat. Reverend Patrick and Laura are away this week. That's not the treat. The treat is the treat is we get an opportunity to hear from another inspired speaker, inspired and inspiring speaker. Um, Reverend Patrick Harbula is the author of The Magic of the Soul. So that's this book. And this This book was the inspiration for an eight-week Science of Mind 200-level course um, by the same name. 
and it's called Applying Spiritual Power to Daily Living. He's the founder of the Living Purpose Institute and creator of the Life Coaching Certification Program and the Primal Fire Intensive. He's the president of the Spiritual Unity Movement and was the founding publisher of Meditation Magazine. He's also formerly a director of Sage Publications. He is here today to do a workshop with us and to speak this morning. He will be available after the service to sign his book. He's speaking today on radical gratitude, an entrance into the sacred. Please join me in welcoming Reverend Patrick Harbula. It's so good to be back. I'm going to tell you straight off, but you can't, you, this is a secret, okay? Just between you and I, uh, and don't tell any of this, the other centers, but this is my favorite center in the world to speak at. Absolutely. So much great energy here. And by the way, I am your surrogate Reverend Patrick. So, and actually, Radical Gratitude, I spoke on the last time I'm here, and, and I decided I'm, I'm going to switch it up. I had, uh, I'm going to change the topic today because I can. <laughs> love unfolding love is what I want to talk about. Love unfolding love. And when I was pre- preparing my talk, interesting thing, when I was still back, back at home, interesting thing happened. Um, I was working on the talk, and... Uh, there were these, and I heard the sound of little very faint buzzing over by the window in my home. And I went over and there were these two flies that were, I guess they were kind of on their way out. I mean, they didn't have a whole lot of life in them, so they, they couldn't like fly away. So they were like um, buzzing around and on the windowsill and they'd try to get up a little bit and they'd go back down. And, and so, um, you know, I caught them. They're really easy to catch because they didn't have a whole lot of energy. And I caught them and I decided, and I'd put, I was going to put them outside, which I do with all bugs in my house. Um, uh, and I do that a lot because my, my, my wife does not like bugs. So um, I went out to the door and I let them go. And I thought, you know, being as, as almost lifeless as they were, that they would just maybe fall out of my hand. Well, they just took off and flew straight up into the air and I just, I couldn't believe it. And it was like this total, I mean, for me, it, the, the metaphor was it's all about freedom and, and joy. It's all about freedom and joy. We have such a wonderful teaching in science of mind and such wonderful principles and understandings. But doesn't it just all come to, down to living in freedom and joy and love, unfolding love? Isn't it really just that simple? So, and I've got some good news for you today. How many here have heard of the 100th monkey syndrome? Okay, I'm surprised it's not more. So there was an experiment done back in the 50s, I believe, or early 60s, where they they dropped these these potatoes on this island that had no, you know, people living on it, just monkeys. And so what happened is this, uh, these monkeys would then, they'd drop the potatoes in the sand and the, and the monkeys would eat these potatoes. But then one very bright uh, female monkey decided to try. Yes, the females have always been the way showers. They just haven't always gotten the, tr- the credit. In fact, when this story is normally told, they don't mention it's a female monkey. So that's, that's an added bonus here. 
So this female monkey goes over and decides to wash the potato, the sand off the potato, in this river nearby, and eats the potato. And, and she continued to do this, and other monkeys started to watch her and do the same. They learned the behavior. And then all of a sudden, when a certain critical mass was reached, this is, that's what this term critical mass is about. When this critical mass was reached, all of a sudden, all of the monkeys on the island started to wash their potatoes before eating them. They didn't have to learn it. It didn't have to be modeled for them anymore. And shortly after that, they were doing the same experiment on other islands. Monkeys had not learned the behavior yet, but all of a sudden, all the monkeys on all the other islands started to wash their potatoes and eat them. And so the theory was developed that when a certain percentage of a species reaches critical mass, then with some particular behavior or understanding, then everyone gets it. And so there's been a lot of talk for decades now about coming into this, moving up to and, and approaching this place of critical mass. The news I have for you is that it has been reached. We are here. We are here right now. And what does this mean? What, critical mass about what? It is about having a consciousness of oneness. Enough people, enough percentage of our species has experienced oneness that now it is a very easy thing for people to move into it. It used to take years and years of study and, and really uh, focused intention. Now, I mean, it's amazing. I have conversations with other teachers. Dr. Kent Gordon was talking about this at, uh, not the last conference, but the last time we were at Asilomar, how, you know, 20 years ago when I was teaching workshops, People came in, and you teachers, you know this, right? People come in at such a different level now, such a higher level. Uh, it's like we can learn now in a month what 30, 40 years ago took years to learn. That's what's happening. Because the information is everywhere. It's on Oprah. It's everywhere. People are stepping in this. So all we have to do is be in an environment of oneness, like a, a center like this, Somebody comes in for the first time and instantly people get it. Does that make sense? Is that your experience? Mine too. So, my teacher, Dr. Earl Barnum, put it this way. This is speaking about who we truly are. He said that, and I haven't heard it expressed quite this way by anyone else, that our natural state is one of love flowing through us, unimpeded, effortlessly. Our natural state. And that in fact, in order to stop that love from flowing, it actually takes a conscious or usually unconscious intervention. It takes putting up a barrier to stop that God force from flowing through us. And it takes energy, it takes a tremendous amount of energy to, to hold that barrier in place. Isn't that powerful? Because all it means then is that all we have to do in order to be that source is let go. All we have to do is just surrender. Just like I expected those, those flies to fall out of my hand and they just sprung into the air. It, it was as though they were just propelled into joy and freedom. 
who knows, maybe they're just scared out of their minds because they're in this big old hand, you know? But that's the metaphor I, I chose to interpret it as. And, um, and this reminds me of a, of a story about three, three guys who were going out to play golf, right? On a Sunday, nice Sunday afternoon. And so the first guy gets up to the first tee, and you've probably heard of him, his name is Moses. And uh, he gets up and he's take, take, you know, practicing and really focusing his swing and just getting everything right. Takes a good swing, hits a real nice shot, but it's coming a little bit short. And it's heading for this, uh, this pond, right? And it's gonna get, it, it lands, it's rolling, it's going to go into a pond. He raises up his club and the waters part <laughs> and the ball f- flies right through, right up under the green. Next guy ste- steps up, probably heard of him, his name's Jesus, and he's really focused now. He's like really concentrating. He's got it all together. He's been playing a little longer than, than Moses too. And uh, he takes this great, perfectly beautiful swing, shoots it out there. It's headed a little bit farther than Moses' ball, but it's going to land right in, it's going to land right in that pond, and, and then all of a sudden it just he raises his hand, it stops, and it hovers a couple inches above the water line. He just walks out on the water calmly, taps it onto the green, a little farther ahead of Moses' ball. Third guy gets up. You know him, but I'm not going to tell you his name. And he just, you know, he doesn't even, like, line anything up. He just gets up and kind of haphazardly, just one-handed, just, sw- you know, throws his club at the ball, and it goes hooking off way over to the side, and it, it uh, bounces off the top of this, this shack on the, on the side of the course. It goes over the fence onto the freeway. It's ricocheting between all these cars. It bounces back onto the roof of the shack. It rolls down into the, into the gutter. It comes down the side and down into the drain pipe. It rolls down onto the course. It's heading for that same lake, hits a rock, bounces up. It lands on a lily pod. pod lily pad. Just then, a frog jumps up, grabs the ball, takes it in his mouth, and an eagle swoops down, (laughs) snatches up the frog. It's going over the green. The frog screams. The ball drops out of its mouth into the cup. Hole in one. Moses turns to Jesus and says, God, I hate playing with your dad. Or mom, since it's mother, father, God. So the third guy, slash gal, was just totally in the moment. Just, just having fun. Just being in joy. And ended up with the greatest result. Isn't that how it works? So what does it take to be in, in, in freedom and joy? And to be love unfolding love? And this... This phrase, by the way, came to me when I was, I was in India and I was staying for a time in the Sai Baba ashram. Anyone heard of Sai Baba? Amazing teacher. And um, while I was there, it's, there's about, on a given weekend, there's about 70, 80 to 100,000 people there in this small little community where they have no cars. Outside it, all of India, by the way, is just, the, the big cities is just amazing cultural shock. It's just like to- the noise pollution and the, and the air pollution is just phenomenal. It's a very difficult place to be. 
Um, but in the ashram, it's the opposite, just complete peace. My wife, my wife didn't actually want to go to the ashram. That was my idea. And uh, at the end of our trip, at the end of our stay there, I said to her, would you ever come back to India? And she said, only if we went straight to the ashram and nowhere else. <laughs> it was just so pristine and so beautiful. And, you know, I didn't, when I, when I met Sai Baba, I didn't get the kind of blissful energy hit that I thought I would. But maybe that was because his, his aura was kind of like enveloping the entire community. And everyone there is, was in a place of peace and love. And, and whenever you'd met anyone, you'd say, Sai Ram, this was a blessing of extending God nature from one to another. And what I got in that, in just being in the midst of his teachings, in the midst of this palpable energy that was the result of his teachings, was that that's what we are. We are love unfolding love. Each one of us, every person that we, that we reach out to, with our truth, we help to unfold the love in that individual. So we are love, and we are unfolding more love. So how do we, how do we be this on a consistent basis? Because we all have the ability. Have you ever had the experience where things are just going really lousy, and you know you're in a bad mood, and you just shift it, or it just shifts for you, or you just decide to surrender, or it just you realize it isn't worth it, or you just start laughing? at the cosmic joke of it all, how easy it is to slip into that when we simply allow ourselves. It takes a conscious decision, though. It takes a conscious decision, right, to step out of what keeps us from being that block, that barrier that's holding us back. It takes a conscious decision. I'll tell you a technique that works for me. For the last, um, up until about three days ago, Three or four days ago, I've been having some stomach problems for the last, I don't know, it was um, really noticeable for the last three months or so. And I'm having prayer treatment for doing, for, done for me, and I'm doing prayer treatment and all kinds of techniques, and, but it just kept getting worse. And, um, and it really started even maybe seven, eight months ago, gradu- you know, just slightly, and it got gradually worse. And... Um, and I decided to, to ramp up my spiritual practice. Now, this is something I do anyway, which is to, uh, to look for the magic in every experience. That's the theme of my book. It's called Radical Gratitude, looking for the magical in, in, in every experience, looking for the opportunity for growth, looking for the, the place where there is sacredness in this difficult situation, right? So I decided to do that and I decided to also use this experience of discomfort in my stomach as a cue, as a reminder to be in that place of love unfolding love, to expand my consciousness and awareness beyond the pain, beyond the discomfort, beyond my, my thinking about the discomfort. That's what, because that's what I was doing even more than noticing the discomfort is I was like, thinking about what this means and what is the problem, behind, what's the cause behind this and all this mental stuff going on. And so I decided to let all of that go and just use it as a reminder to be in the highest state of consciousness that I could be. And guess what happened? My stomach feels great. And that wasn't, I wasn't trying to get rid of it. I was just trying to use it as a reminder, as a cue to be in that sacred place. And of course, 
my experience of sacredness. I also got a report from my doctor that I was low in vitamin D. Almost, and actually, well, this was a couple weeks ago, but I didn't have time before my trip to go out and get some vitamin D. Got some while I was here, started taking it. Stomach started feeling better. Now, was it the vitamin D? I don't know. <laughs> you know, when I... The original message of the magic of the soul was... Magic of the soul, how to create what you want in your, in your life. And a funny thing happened on the way to the magic of the soul. Everything that I had built up in my life, my wonderful marriage of 13 years, my corporate job, my, my great health, I was an athlete, a tennis pro in my 20s, everything fell apart. And I became chronically ill, and um, I was so sick that there were, you know, I couldn't get out of the bed for weeks at, at a time. I went to Mayo Clinic, I went to all the experts, no one could find a diagnosis. This happened when I was 41 years old, and my father died at 42 years old of cancer that wasn't diagnosed for several years. So I really was beginning to believe that this was, this was kind of it for me. This was my last, few, my last who, knew, who knew how long time on this planet. And all the while I was resisting the symptoms, I was fighting them, I was using spiritual mind treatment, I was using uh, meditation, energy healing, throwing lightning bolts at it, everything I possibly could, but nothing was working. And then I finally gave up. And I don't mean in an apathetic way, I mean in a surrendering way. And I started to heal. And it wasn't a straight and narrow path from there, because what would happen is I would I would surrender, I would start to feel better, I'd start to go out and do things that I used to do like walk and I, the symptoms would come back and I would resist them again because I was feeling a little bit better and it was, felt so good I wanted to keep that, I became attached to that and then I would resist again and I would get worse again and it was as though my soul were inspiring me, forcing me, forcing me to get this lesson of constant surrender of being in a state of constant surrender. And it was the greatest blessing of my life. The theme of the book became radical gratitude, looking for the magic in everything. Not just being grateful for the things that, we, that please us, but being grateful for everything. And I think that every cutting edge teaching out there is saying the same thing. Byron Katie, how many know Byron Katie? Love everything. Eckhart Tolle, give up your resistance to what is. August Gold, invite everything. Invite everything. When we give up our resistance, nothing can hurt us. Nothing can touch us. Everything becomes magic when we give up our resistance. Just letting go. And you know, the book, I, I absolutely believe the book would not have become what it became if not for that challenge, if not for that extreme challenge, the most difficult time in my life. But the message became completely different. I know that the book would not have been adopted as curriculum for science of mind. I probably wouldn't be standing here talking to you. I wouldn't be getting, um, it, just about every day I get a, a, an email or a message saying this is the most transformational book I've ever read. 
None of that would have happened if not for that experience. And don't we always look back at the most challenging, if we're conscious beings, the most challenging times of our life as the times when we grew the most? And yet, in the midst of it, most of us, most of the time, do what I did in the beginning, which is resist it. And I still do. First time a challenge comes up, you know, I may resist it in the beginning. But, and the important thing is to ask the question, what's the magic in this? It's not necessarily important if I get an answer, okay? And sometimes I'll get this incredible epiphany by asking the question. Sometimes I won't. But I know there is one, and I know that it will come to me. And it's being in that trust then that completely changes my relationship to the situation. I'm no longer a, a, a victim of this situation. Now I am using it to access greater power. Does that make sense? And the most important place to apply radical gratitude is to ourselves. Is, you know, this, and to be love unfolding love is to start with ourself. The workshop that I'm going to do today is I'm having so much fun. It's, a, it's almost, it's a pretty new workshop. And, um, and there's a number of t uh, practices that we use to increase love, to, to become a higher expression of love, unfolding love. And the first practice that we'll focus on is called release and shift. And this process asks and answers the question, what would your life be like if it was 100% completely and totally devoid of self-judgment, of critical self-judgment? Think about, about that for a moment. Nothing else has changed. Same relationships, same bank account, same everything, except I don't judge myself critically anymore for anything. Be amazing, wouldn't it? So what this practice does is it gradually and consistently reduces the amount of self-judgment in our life, which then leads to greater freedom and joy and love unfolding love. Another process we'll do is um, from spiritual psychology, which is about looking at all the aspects of ourselves that, that we may judge and finding the gift in them. This is the most amazing thing. I did this process two nights ago at the, uh, at the community church. I did a workshop there. Actually, we were gonna, it was a whole different workshop, but I decided to do this exercise because it really fit for what, what was unfolding there. And, and basically... When I work with people in coaching or counseling, when someone has an, an issue, a really strong issue, and something that, there's something in them that they think is the problem, okay? Or someone else sometimes if it's a projection, right? But ultimately it comes down to what's in us. And in thinking that that is the problem, there's a polarity. And the thing is, whatever it is within ourselves that we dislike, there is a gift in that, that we are actually pushing away. And the gift is the quality that's required for the healing of the issue or the problem or the thing that we don't like. So if it's fear, all right, and I think that this fear is getting in my way, how often I've heard teachers say, you know, we have to embrace our shadow side. 
And then a couple paragraphs later, they'll talk about fear and say, well, I got this fear and I just got to get over it, right? Uh, and the thing is, this is the metaphor I like to offer to people. Imagine that anything that you don't like in you is a small child coming to you. So if it was a fearful child, how would you want to respond to it? If you said to that child, I've got to get over you, I've got to get around you, I have to leave you behind so I can go forward and accomplish what I want to accomplish, how would that child feel? Abandoned. Even more feel fearful, right? Well, guess what? The same dynamic happens within us when I say, I've got to get rid of my fear. Or even if, if I say self-judgment is the bad guy, all right? And there's a gift in all of these things. Within the, the, the child, and this happens when I work in a, in a dynamic process with someone, what will come out, the process is voice dialogue, what will come out in the process is that the quality that's the gift in this child that's being pushed away is sensitivity and compassion innocence and I cannot push the fear away without pushing the innocence and the sensitivity and the compassion away does that make sense and so once that fear is embraced then I get access because anything that we resist persists and in fact I have found that when we resist anything whether it's a physical symptom where it's the, the number that we see in our checkbook, whatever it might be, it creates a block in energy. And, it's, and the energy is the energy of love. And we're stopping that flow. We're creating that barrier right in, in, be, in the middle of that flow of love. When I embrace and, and I become receptive and I open up and I surrender, that energy then flows. And then the healing occurs. Then the energy is able to be accessed. And the final process we'll do in this workshop is called an alignment between intention and action. This is a very powerful thing. I have a, in my life coaching, I have a, a process for, uh, or a system for measuring alignment between intention and action. What that simply means is that I do what I intend to do. That's an alignment between intention and action. And what I find in measuring this in people is that most people, even successful, happy people, do what they intend to do about 25% of the time. And when I say what they intend to do, it's those big vision things, the things that if I know that I do them, will bring me closer to living my dream, living my highest vision, being the highest expression of spirit in the world that I can be. For some people, it might be meditating. For some people, it might be writing that book that I've been thinking about writing all these years. So we have a system for, for, um, for measuring that. And then what we do is we just reverse that ratio. And if you can reverse it, and it's not that difficult to do. It's just a, a process of setting priorities to where we're doing what we intend to do 75% of the time, time or more. Then what we want and what we want to create and who we want to be starts coming very, very fast. It's that simple. It's all simple. I promise you. That's how we know it's right. So I'll read a quote from The Magic of the Soul that speaks to this. We reach for our soul to embrace perfection. 
This is called spirituality or being on a spiritual path. When we arrive at our soul, we reach for our personality to embrace the splendor of our imperfection. This is called compassion. We see imperfection in ourselves and others as a beautiful opportunity like parents who love their children not only in spite of their imperfections but because of them. Because isn't that what creates the purpose for being a parent is a child's imperfections, right? And, and by offering that love to them, then we raise that up. So if I look at anything in the world and I see it as distasteful or whatever I see, then I'm looking through the eyes of my personality or maybe even my ego. But if I see it as an opportunity to serve, to throw light, to be love unfolding love, then guess what? I'm seeing the world through the eyes of my soul. This is what all great teachers have done. I heard once that the definition of enlightenment, an enlightened being is someone who sees enlightenment everywhere they look. Right? See the truth behind the form. I'll finish with a story about uh, one of my teachers, Dr. Vivian King, who was my spiritual psychology teacher for three years. Um, I had lost track of her for a little while. She had moved to New Mexico. I live in California. And um, she had kind of given up her teaching and she was writing. She, pu- she had several really great books published. And she was driving. I met, saw somebody at a New Year's Eve party who was in my class and she said, did you hear what happened to Vivian? I said, no. She was driving through Texas and hit by a drunk driver. And um, she was in a coma for six weeks. And when she came out of it, she was uh, quadriplegic. And so I went to see her. They had just moved her to Long Beach, which is um, just a few hours from where I live. And so I went in and saw her. and, um, And here was this vibrant, amazing woman who now was in a wheelchair and, and she, um, her face was crooked. Her, her head was the size of a basketball when, when she came out of this accident, accident. She couldn't use her arms or her hands. She couldn't speak. She lost, uh, it was a brain stem damage. She couldn't use her, her vocal cords anymore. She was trained to learn to speak in whispers and with amplification you could communicate with her but it was very difficult. And just then, they were deciding where to move her to. And I said, if she moves to, one of the options was right, right near me uh, in the San Fernando Valley. And I said, if you move her there, I'll be able to spend time and, and visit her and so on. And so they, they did that. They, they ended up moving her like two, like about five minutes from my house. So I went and I got to spend time with her and I got to help her with her physical therapy and, and to do healing work with her. And uh, it sounds like I'm doing a lot, but I was the one that was getting the gift because I asked her one time, I said, so are you angry at, at, at the, man, the drunk driver who, who did this to you? And she looked at me with a confused look on her face and she said, I don't have time to be angry. I'm focused on my healing. I'm focused on love. And um, she eventually got to use her hands a little bit. She could type on a computer. It would take her like hours to write a paragraph. But all the while, she, was, she would smile. She would, in fact, when she would be feeding, she, would, she had a mechanical arm that would bring her 
her, uh, she could eat by herself. She could have had someone, she had round-the-clock uh, nurses, could have had someone feed her, but wanted to do it on her own with this mechanical arm. She would be feeding her and, and, and putting food on her face, and it would be dropping all over her. And I'm thinking, I would be, you know, I, I think I would be embarrassed by that. And she'd be laughing all the, all the while with this crooked smile. It was so beautiful. Um, a year before she died... She said to me, um, you know, Patrick, I'm a teacher who can't teach and a teacher who can't speak and I'm a writer who can no longer write. But as long as I have a physical body, I can remain a presence of peace and love in this world. Is that powerful? So oftentimes when I find myself in a challenge, I, I think of Vivian and remember that I can always be love unfolding love. And it isn't difficult. It's just letting go. So thank you for having me here. I love you all. <clears throat>